For the first half of the 20th century, uh, North America and Europe, these two continents on the other sides of the world, they were connected by sea travel. That's what they were connected by. So you had these big ocean liners, these huge ships that would transport people from one continent to another. That's how people got from America to England, or that's how people got from there to here. But then, uh, World War II, after World War II, uh, came the rise of the commercial airplane. And by the late 1950s, what had once been a six-day journey was now a six-hour flight. And, the, and almost overnight, the ocean liner industry became irrelevant. I mean, with the, with the rise of commercial airlines, the ocean liner industry essentially became obsolete almost overnight. And the problem was you had all these owners of these large ships that are huge investments, and they have this problem. They're going, well, what do we do with these massive, obsolete vessels? Well, what do we do with our investment? And so some of the ship owners had this amazing idea. They said, you know what? Let's not carry passengers to a destination. What if we made the ship the destination itself? That is how cruise ships came to be. And so the idea was now, instead of a ship being mainly about starting in one place and taking you to another, cruise ships now were large ocean liners that were intentionally designed to sail you in a circle. Now you had, of course, ports of call where you could buy cheap souvenirs and eat at Hard Rock Cafe. You know, the real, you know, Mexican experience is a Hard Rock Cafe and a Starbucks. Or, you know, or the real Caribbean experience is a Senior Frogs or whatever. I mean, these ports of call, they're not real. Uh, You're not really experiencing a destination. It's just an overflow of the ship itself. They're temporary stopovers. But on a cruise ship, your destination is not a new city or a new life like it once had been when you got on one of these ships. Your destination is simply the cruise ship itself. And the largest cruise ship in the world right now is Royal Caribbean's Harmony of the Seas. And that ship is divided into seven neighborhoods. Neighborhoods. Seven neighborhoods. That's how the ship is organized. And it includes a spa and fitness center, a water park, Two 10-story tall enclosed slides, four swimming pools, 10 hot tubs, two surf simulators, a casino, an escape game, 20 dining venues, 11,252 works of art, an ice rink, an aqua theater that puts on diving, aerial, and acrobatic shows, a bionic bar where drinks are made by two robotic arms, a 1,400-seat venue for Broadway-style shows, two climbing walls, a full-size basketball court, miniature golf, ping pong, programs for children and youth, a daycare for toddlers, a shopping mall, a carousel, a central park, and of course, a Starbucks. Travel writers now boast that you could never get off of the ship and have the best vacation of your life. Now I want you to listen to these amenities. A 50,000 square foot activity center, 16 basketball courts, a health club, a school, restaurants, a bank, a rock climbing wall, a conference center, a bookstore, a mortuary, a hotel, a skate park, a water park, a McDonald's drive through a video arcade, a bass fishing lake, 15 baseball fields, and a 1950s style diner. But the thing is, that is not the description of another cruise ship. That is the description of a real church building in America. Now, 
it's easy for us to thumb our nose at that and sort of look down our nose at that. It's easy for small churches like ours to rip on megachurches, or it's easy for urban churches like us to feel superior to suburban churches. But we often make the same mistake. And the mistake is not building big structures, but the mistake is treating the church like it is a destination rather than a vessel that is taking us on a journey. A journey with a specific end in mind. You see, somewhere along the way, the institution of church, at least in America, has become a destination for many Christians. Instead of a vessel that is taking us, carrying us on a journey to someplace new, the church has become a cruise ship, a self-contained destination for Christians largely to isolate ourselves from the world instead of going out into the world in love. And see, for many, the church has become merely a place to be safe and entertained and have our own religious needs met instead of being an actual community of Jesus followers sent out on a beautiful, though oftentimes difficult and dangerous mission. Somewhere along the way, we've made church a circular voyage instead of a linear one. Church has become the destination in and of itself for many Christians, and we've lost our sense of mission. We're spending the summer going through our mission statement as a church, which is knowing Christ through the scriptures, growing together as a family, and going into the world to make disciples of Jesus. And today I want us to consider what it looks like to go into the world and make disciples of Jesus. This is the mission of the church. And today we're going to look verse by verse, we're going to work our way verse by verse through a scripture, a passage of scripture from the Apostle Paul written in Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 14. And what you'll find in this text today is you'll see the Apostle Paul, who is a pastor, and he loves his people. He loves the people in this congregation, but he's concerned that they've forgotten the point of the church. He's concerned for them. He's afraid that they've lost sight of the mission of the church. And so he offers them a reminder. He reminds them what their mission is, and then he shares with them a vision And he challenges them with a mission, and that's our outline for today, a reminder, a vision, and a mission. The reminder is this, that the church exists for more than just its members. Look in Romans chapter 15, verse 14, Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And Paul starts right here with a word of encouragement. He encourages this church in Rome, but then he quickly shifts to a word of caution. He gives them a reminder of their purpose. And I love it because Paul looks at this church and he says, look, you guys are doing so great Like, you guys are a great church in so many ways. Your small groups are going well. Your growth groups are great. You're caring for your children. Sports and arts camp is amazing. Your teaching is okay, you know. (laughs) You know, theology, you have sound doctrine is being taught in your church. You've got a young professionals ministry that's growing. You've got, uh, I mean, you have a new associate pastor who's doing a great job. Your worship leader has amazing hair. In so many ways, you're a healthy church. 
Paul's saying, look, you guys, in so many ways, you're doing so many things right, but I want to remind you of something. Don't forget the mission of the church. And Paul, all throughout his writings and all throughout the writings of the New Testament, you see that the church has a twofold mission. The first part of the mission is to demonstrate love to one another, to be a family, to care for one another within the congregation. And Paul says to this church, you guys are doing a great job in this regard. Keep it up. I'm so proud of you. You're doing such a great job. But there's a second part to the mission of the church, and that's this, and that is to take the message of Jesus, the gospel, the good news, to the ends of the earth. And Paul warns them, he says, look, you guys have a tendency to make it all about you. Your events, your ministries, and all the while, I'm noticing that you're ignoring the needs of those in your city who do not know Jesus. That's what Paul says to this church, and I love his disposition because he's such a pastor, I mean, Paul tells them, he's like, hey, I love you guys, but let me remind you, don't forget, you're doing so well in so many ways, but let me remind you that the church was called by God to be a light to the nations, was called by God to make disciples of Jesus. And and Paul is essentially saying, you cannot be all that God desires for the church to be when you insulate yourselves and make the church all about you and your own personal needs. Paul elsewhere says, Do not receive the grace of God in vain. He says that in 2 Corinthians 6. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. You have been given God's grace. He's forgiven you of your sins. He's given you a new life. He's given you a community of people around you to worship with. He's given you blessings beyond measure. He's given you a a rock to stand on in the difficult seasons of life. He's given you grace. He did not count your sins against you, but he went to the cross and died for you. You've been given that grace. Don't let it stop with you. Show that grace to the world. Show that grace to others. Paul says grace is a gift that you receive, but it's also a gift that is meant to be passed on to others. And Paul is cautioning this church not to receive the grace of Jesus in vain. He says you've received the life-changing news of Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' promise that he will restore all things. Don't keep that to yourself. And Paul is graciously reminding this church that there are people in the world and people in their city that do not know Jesus like they do. And they can never lose sight of that. So that's Paul's reminder, but then he gives them a vision. Look at what he says in verse 17. He says, In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Listen, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And here you see the central core of how Paul viewed his life. Paul saw himself, he's just a normal guy. Paul's like, I'm just a normal guy but I've done everything in my power to point others to Jesus. He says, look, I have reason to be proud of my work for God because God has done so much through me. And Paul, his whole ministry is like this. He's like, guys, don't, he would go to cities and towns and he would preach and people would be like, man, Paul, you're the best preacher. You can speak. The crowds love you. And Paul would say, stop looking at me. Look to Jesus. He'd say, it's not about how well I can speak. It's not about how well I talk or whatever. He said, don't look at me. Look at the one that I'm pointing to. Look to Jesus. 
This is the ministry of John the Baptist as well, and the ministry of the apostles, and even the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The, ministry, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to point to Jesus. And Paul says, that's all I'm trying to do with my life. I don't speak about anything except Jesus. And Paul is saying, he's like, I just want people to worship God and know Jesus like I do because he's changed my life. Paul was a murderer. And God changed his life and turned him into a missionary. And Paul's like, if God can do that for me, I want everybody else to know what God can do for them. I don't speak about anything but Jesus. And then he makes this statement. He says, I want people to know Jesus so badly, so I preach the gospel of Jesus with both word and deed. And this is crucial for us to understand as a church because Paul essentially says we are called to show the gospel with the way that we love others and we're called to proclaim the gospel with our words. We're called to speak the gospel. See, the mission of the church is both word and deed. Word and actions. See, I grew up in a church where sharing your faith meant speaking only. Really. I mean, we called it witnessing. <laughs> we spoke the gospel, but we never really seemed to demonstrate it. The evangelism strategy of the church I grew up in was to have these big events, big tent revivals. If some of you guys grew up in the heartland, you know what I'm talking about. Big tent revivals where we would tell the city, come to us and hear what we have to say. Come and hear what we have to say. Or we would just badger people on the street about their religious beliefs. But that's what, growing up, that's how we, I was taught to speak the gospel. And the reputation we developed in our community is that nobody really felt like we cared about them. They simply felt like we were salesmen, peddling the gospel, trying to meet our quota so that we could brag about the number of salvations that our church had experienced. See, our church, the, the church that I grew up in, was all about speaking the gospel, but we rarely really demonstrated the gospel by the way that we loved and served our community. Then fast forward a little bit, I, I went to college, and I became a Christian in college. And it was when I was in college that I met a group of students that, were, that just loved Jesus. I was like, what? There are 19-year-olds that love Jesus? Like, this is amazing. And I, like, became part of this community and got to know all these friends, and it was amazing. And we were all passionate about Jesus, and we wanted to correct what we felt like was the error of our upbringing, because many of us had grown up in similar situations. And so we said, we're going to be all about demonstrating the gospel. And so we were involved in all sorts of social justice causes. We did all, the, all these projects for the poor in our city, coat drives. We fought injustices in Africa. We took mission trips all over the world. We bought Tom's shoes and we drank fair trade coffee. <laughs> we did all sorts, we demonstrated the gospel in so many ways, but in the end, after a few years, I looked around and realized that nobody was ever coming to know Jesus. And the reason was because we never really talked about Jesus. We just served in the name of Jesus, but never really told people about Jesus and how they could come to know Christ. St. Francis of Assisi, many of you guys have heard this quote from him. It says, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. How many of you have heard this quote? I've got two major problems with this quote. One is that there's no record that Francis of Assisi ever said this quote. Two, it's nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. Preach the gospel, only use words if you need to. The word gospel literally means 
good news. It's an announcement. It's something that is to be announced. And the gospel is by definition a proclamation of words. To speak the gospel is by definition to speak the gospel. My former pastor used to say that it would be like saying, hey, give me your phone number. If necessary, use digits. (laughs) It's nonsensical. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. It's a nonsensical statement. And I think Jesus and the apostles would have taken great issue with this quote as well because look what Paul says in Romans 10, 14. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And Paul's not talking about like me, a preacher. He's talking about people speaking about the love of Jesus to people that they know. And I understand the sentiment. I love the, I mean, I, I know why everybody loves this quote. Because many of us have seen the damage that is done when people speak the gospel with their mouths but don't show it in a way, in the, show it in the way that they love others. You know, I think of the person in Times Square standing on the box with the bullhorn. You're going to hell. That's what we think about. And we don't want to be that. But we also don't want to fall into this error thinking that we can just live nice lives and people will just begin following Jesus. It doesn't work that way. We must speak with our mouths. We can't swing the pendulum so far the other way that we use loving the world as an excuse to never proclaim the good news of Jesus. See, as a church and as individuals, we are called to both show the gospel and we're called to speak the gospel. And if you speak the gospel but never show it, you're a hypocrite. If you're the person on the street that shouts down everybody that walks by and tells them they're going to hell if they don't repent, but you don't show love toward them, you're a hypocrite. But if you are one that wants to show the gospel but never speak it, meaning you want to think, you know what, I can just love my neighbors, I can make dinner for them, I can do nice things, but you know what, I don't really ever want to bring up the awkward conversation of faith. If you Speak the gospel, but don't show it you're a hypocrite. But if you show the gospel and don't speak it, I would say you're a coward. You're not speaking the message of the gospel that Jesus has given you. And Paul gives us a vision for Christ. He says, speak about nothing but Jesus. How will they know if you do not speak? And then he gives them a mission. Look in verse 20. He says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. Don't you pray that for our neighborhood? Don't you pray that for your family members and your neighbors? That those who have never been told of Jesus will see him. And that those who have never heard of him will understand. See, Paul, his goal was to preach the gospel in places where it had never been preached. This is why he was always like, I got to get to places like Rome and Spain so badly because in his mind, nobody had ever been there to speak of the name of Jesus. And Paul, it's like he couldn't sleep knowing that there were people on the planet that literally had never heard of Jesus' name. Like it just, it, it, it haunted him and it drove him. And my desire for our church, for this church, and Paul's desire for the church in Rome is that we would never lose sight of the sense of ambition to speak the gospel where it has never been spoken and to show the gospel where it has never really been seen. And that may be in your building. There may be people in your building who they've seen a version of Jesus, 
you know, that our world kind of puts out there, or they've seen a version of Jesus that maybe hypocritical or cowardly Christians have shown them, but they've never seen Jesus. They've never really seen somebody live out the way and the love and the grace of Jesus in front of them, and they've never had anybody sit them down and tell them how Jesus has transformed their life. That could be in your building, in your office, on your block. It could be on Fifth Avenue or Third Avenue, at your school or at the park. But I want all of us in this room to live lives that not only demonstrate Jesus with the way that we live, with our ethics, with our holiness, with our compassion for the poor, with our compassion for our neighbors, but also that we would speak it. Simply just letting people know you're a Christian and letting people know why you're a Christian and how it's brought you joy. Just personally, like Jesus, I don't know about you, But Jesus has changed my life. He has transformed my life. I wish you guys could have known me when I was 20 years old, 19 years old. Like, I wish you could just see what God has done in my life. He forgave me. He gave me a future. He's given me strength to stand in some of my, the most difficult seasons of my life. And some of you know I've had some difficult seasons. Man, I'm just so thankful for all that God has done in my life. He's given me joy. And he's given me life. And he's just changed me. Like I was a knucklehead 10 years ago. And I want my neighbors to know Jesus like I do. Like I want their lives to be transformed like mine has. This is why I want to speak about Jesus and show his grace to this city. And I don't do it well all the time. And often I don't demonstrate Jesus very well. People that live next to me, they hear me (laughs) getting upset with my kids. But I just, I want to live a life of holiness and I want to live a life of courage and boldness to speak of Jesus. I don't want church to be about me. I don't want church, especially as a pastor, I don't want church to be a, a place where I just build my platform. I want church to be a place where I can, with you guys, take the message of Jesus to the people that I love in this city. And I hope you do too. This is what I pray for our church all the time, that we would speak and show the hope of Jesus to the people in Brooklyn, specifically Bay Ridge, Sunset Park, Bensonhurst, Diker Heights. And like Paul, if I can just be pastoral for a moment, I think our church does a lot of things really well. Like, I love this church. We do kids' ministry so well. We do community so well. We care for one another so well. But I think this is an area where we could grow in. Speaking of Jesus to our city. And I'm so, I'm so excited about Kyle being our new associate pastor. And I'm just so encouraged, like, in our meetings, like, him, he's dreaming already about what our church is capable of. And when he talks about small groups and growth groups and dreaming for what those are going to look like when we relaunch those in the fall, I mean, I love how he views these groups not just as a chance for us to have Bible study and make friendships, but as communities of Christians gathering together so that we can serve our neighbors, so that the, each group can bless our neighbors in different ways. Our, can you imagine our groups not only just meeting for Bible study and getting to know one another and eating dinner, but actually thinking of ways they could bless their neighbors. I had a friend several years ago, and we were in a church together, and he, start, he was a big rock climber. And he started talking about his faith at the rock climbing gym. And one 
guy in his gym that he had become friends with had an accident on the rock climbing wall and broke some stuff and ended up having to have like a major surgery. And his insurance, that he had one of those like cut rate insurances that didn't cover like your own fault kind of injuries. And he had to pay this, I mean, it was tens of thousands of dollars out of his pocket. And, you know, my friend, he had been sharing the gospel with this guy for months and months and months. And then now here's this guy who needs basically like crucial surgery to continue walking and living normally. And he can't afford it because he doesn't have any money. So he had been speaking the gospel to this guy for months. Then he goes to his small group and says, hey, I've got this guy at my rock climbing gym that I've been talking about Jesus with for months and months and months. And he's got this situation. I'd love to help him. And their small group, literally together, they didn't know this guy. They all came up with the money to pay for this guy's surgery. Word and deed. That is how we proclaim the gospel to our city. Word and deed. And I would love to see our groups do stuff like that. I want you to be purposeful with your life. I want us as a church to be purposeful with what we're doing. Pray for our friends who don't have faith. Find ways to serve them. And I think if our church would, like Paul, capture a vision of what this looks like in our lives, I think it would change our city. And I think it would change us as well. Last Sunday, I came home from church and my wife, she said, well, I I need to tell you something. That's never a good conversation starter, you know. And that all morning, because it was a Sunday and I was busy, I, I hadn't checked Facebook or my text messages or my voicemail, so I hadn't found out the news. But my wife sat me down and she said, Will, I, you need to know that one of my closest mentors and close friends, a guy by the name of Daryl Johnson, had passed away Saturday night. And he and I had actually been talking about him coming to preach here at Crossroads in the fall. And uh, my friend Johnson, we called him Pass. His story is fascinating. Harvard educated, him and his wife both very successful, live in, you know, I mean, just extremely successful. But he had a passion for going overseas and serving and speaking of Jesus and just mission work. And he even spent several years, he left his career and he went, spent several years as a missionary in Haiti. But then he ended up coming back and started a nonprofit because he had seen, while he was on the mission field, he was an African American guy. This is him. He had seen that African-American churches hadn't, he, he, was dis, he was disappointed by the lack of engagement in international missions by African-American churches, particularly young men in African-American churches. And so he came back to the States, started a ministry to engage African-American churches in international missions, and it blew up. It became incredibly successful. And he and I ended up spending, I, went, I helped him co-lead several trips, and he was just one of those guys that like, I don't know if you've ever known anybody like this, that just being around him made me want to worship Jesus. Like it kind of made me feel a little uncomfortable sometimes. I was like, man, do I even, am I even a Christian? Like this dude loves Jesus. Like, I mean, like in comparison, I'm like, do I even, I don't even, I need to read my Bible like cover to cover like tonight. But like, so it was a little convicting on one end, but on the other hand, it was like just being around him stirred my affections for God because I looked at him and saw a man who loved God so much. And of course, after I found out he had passed away, you know, I'm looking at his Facebook wall and I was just amazed. There were people all over the world, India, Nepal, Kenya, Haiti, the Dominican, all over the world, people posting on his, I had to do the C translation button on Google just to see what they had said. And they said, thank you, pass. 
If you had never come and spoken to me, I would not know Jesus. I know Jesus because of you. That they're saying that on his wall. People from all over the world. And every picture of him, he was in the bush somewhere serving in Africa or he was in a, in a pile of rubble serving in Haiti after the earthquake. This was a guy who gave his life for the mission of God. And so many people said, without you, Pastor Johnson, I never would have known Jesus. And I, this is what I want to be said of my life. And I hope this is what you want to be said of your life as well. That people would say, without you, I never would have known Christ. And Johnson used to break out in song all the time. He was a charismatic dude. And he would say, I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. The church needs more people to embody this chorus. That we would give ourselves away so that he could use us. And my friend Johnson, he's a life that embodied this well. And I hope my life, it will be said of my life that I embodied this well. And I hope that it will be said of everybody in this room. And if it is, can you imagine what God could do in our church if we got a hold of this? Pray with me.